John 15, 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I'm already hearing testimonies about experiencing God, and we've only actually just been doing the, the workbook lessons for five days. We haven't even met the first time to discuss it in our small groups in the homes, and folks are already coming and saying, man, first lesson slaps you. Well, if you're, if you're hearing that from people and you're thinking, man, I missed out. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. A uh, couple of things. One, you're only a week behind. Now, you get three weeks behind and, and you've got issues. But right now, if you want to be a part of one of the Experiencing God home groups, you can. You can still sign up. Sign-up lists are there in the back. Uh, a, a number of different homes. Lee and Marcy Bird. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss somebody. I know it. Lee and Marcy Bird, Sue and Steve Flinnegan, Justin and Chelsea Saltzman, uh, J.R. and Faye Magel, uh, the youth are at Jordan's house, and Brian and Amanda Craddock. I knew I was going to miss somebody. Uh, those are the homes. But we have also added a Tuesday morning, 10.30 a.m. Uh, group right back here in the hospitality room off the foyer. So if you, you know, don't want to get out at night, can't get out at night, whatever, but you, you would do it if you could, well, now you can if, if that's the issue. You can come at 10.30 on Tuesday morning. Uh, we try to have no more than 10 or 12 in a group. So if your group expands and grows, we might split you up and, and get a new leader to, to have a good, uh, a good group that can have a good conversation and people don't start thinking, well, the group's too big, I can't talk. So, but you can still sign up. Sign up list is in the back. We can get you your books by tomorrow afternoon. If you decide you want to sign up, well, we actually have quite a few extras already, but even if we had given them all out, we could get you books by tomorrow afternoon. So all you have to do is sign up, and we will uh, make a place for you. And I strongly encourage you to do it. Now, so important is this Experiencing God study, we believe as a staff that not only are we doing this in small groups on Sunday night and now on Tuesday mornings, but, uh, as I said last week, the, the choir will be preparing the Experiencing God musical to go along with it, to reinforce it. We will be doing that on uh, Sunday night, April 22nd, the week after our Experiencing God study uh, home groups end. Uh, even and our, our Tuesday morning group will end before that, too. But I'm preaching on experiencing God for the whole time we're doing this. Uh, one of the things you have to do in experiencing God, well, you don't have to. I mean, we're not going to kick you out or shoot you or anything if you don't. There are memory verses each week, and I will be preaching on the memory verse for that unit while we're going through experiencing God. And this week's memory verse is John 15, 5. And I, this, this is one of the ones that I just I can remember. I can remember the first two, then I get kind of bogged down remember what, forgetting what comes next. But John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I have no idea what version of the Bible that is. Uh, it's just the one I learned whenever I learned it. It's not going to be the exact way I'm preaching it today because I'm using a different version than what I learned. But that is our verse today. That's our first week's Bible verse. So if you've been doing the first week experiencing God, folks, you're supposed to have that memorized by tonight. So you got all afternoon. Don't go home, take a nap. Go home, work on your memory verse so you can do that tonight. I want to introduce a, 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 a biological term to you called irreducible complexity. Maybe I'm not introducing that to you. Maybe y'all are just all like, Michael, everybody knows what that is. Well, for the one or two of you that don't, 
irreducible complexity is a, uh, a science term, a biology term, that was coined by a, a scientist by the name of Michael Behe. And he set out to find logical, rational, scientific reasons why evolution can't be true. Now, I'm not an evolutionist. I'm not even a theistic evolutionist. I'm a pretty pure creationist. Uh, and now, Lee and I, have, Lee Bird and I, have had some discussions on exactly what I mean by that. Well, we'll talk about that some other time. I'm not going to get into that this morning. What I mean by that is I believe God created everything from nothing, and he created it in the order that he said that he created it. I'm good with six days of creation. But uh, Michael Behe was trying to find scientific arguments against evolution. And one of the things he came up with was irreducible complexity. When asked to define it, he said it's a fancy phrase, his words, it's a fancy phrase that means a single system which is composed of several interacting parts and where the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to cease functioning. Now, what, Michael? Okay, well, let me give you a, a, a visual up here. If you cut off my left arm, well, that's going to hurt, and I'd rather you not. But if, if it happened, I can still function. Now, not as well. Uh, I'm not going to be as good at football as I am right now. Uh, I'm not going to be able to tackle as well. Um, I'm going to be a little off balance. It's, it's going to take some getting used to. My hugs aren't going to be as good, that sort of thing. But I can still function. You have, my, my left arm is not a, a member of an irreducibly complex system. But what Michael Behe found, and this is just one example in the animal kingdom, is the flagellum on a bacteria. Flagellum was a little hair that spins like an outboard motor. And that's what he discovered. You've got this little outboard motor on this single-celled organism, and every part of that flagellum is necessary. There's no way you can take out, uh, and he's using not, uh, this graphic uses not the uh, biological terms, but more the mechanical terms for the different parts. You have the propeller, the universal joint, uh, the bushings, the drive shaft, the rotor, and the stator, and I'm not a mechanical engineer, so I'm just going to have to trust that that's what it, that y'all know what it's talking about. But if you take out any of those parts, the bacterial flagellum does not work. Michael Behe's point and purpose in, in, in showing that is that evolution could not have gotten you there because if you could backtrack evolution, you take a part out, well, it, it, it's useless. That part of the, ba of the bacterium it's pointless. It doesn't work as a motor if you take it all out, so it's, it's dead weight for this uh, uh, bacteria. It can't get around because its motor doesn't work. You take out any part, and it doesn't work. That is irreducible complexity. He, he uh, pointed to a number of different examples. Parts of the eye, uh, for, for example, uh, you take out any one part, the eye doesn't work. It ceases to function as it should have, therefore, why did it ever evolve to begin with? It couldn't have. You couldn't have gotten from an eyeball that doesn't work to an eyeball that does work because the whole point of evolution is to, we're told, to, to go from things that don't work the right way to things that do work the right way. All sorts of problems with that 
logic, but that's what he points out. Irreducible complexity. complexity. So now you've got your scientific term. You've got your biology lesson for the day. What does that have to do with John 15, 5? Well, for knowing how our life fits into God's will, our remaining in Christ is of irreducible complexity. Well, let me say that a different way. Our relationship to Jesus, our relationship to God, remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, is irreducibly complex. It is an irreducible complexity if our goal is to be obedient to God. If we remove one part of the equation, Jesus, or our abiding in Him, if we break the system, we can no longer be obedient to God. Irreducible complexity. John 15, 5 shows us irreducible complexity in the spiritual realm. It says again in the printed translation up there, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. See, irreducible complexity is right there at the end of this, the verse because you can do nothing without me. We have Jesus, we have us. We connect to him, we're good. We can do everything. We do anything to alter that relationship, weaken it, water it down, whatever is the case, sin, create barriers, put up walls. We have broken the relationship and we no longer can produce fruit. Well, we're going to see how that works as we move through the verse. Uh, in this passage, actually, it's, it's a longer sermon, much longer sermon, maybe not be the best word. It's, uh, uh, he's talking to the disciples the night that, they, that he is betrayed. This is at, uh, in the upper room after they've celebrated the Passover. Uh, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 16, Jesus repeats what we're looking at, verse 5, either generally or verbatim, eight times in 16 verses. In his message, he repeats the same thing eight times. If he's repeating it that much, then we should understand that he really, really, really wants us to get this and to understand it. And he makes eh, four, you could probably say more points than that in this passage, but four big points that jump out to us is first that the, the absolute necessary difference between him and us. We, we kind of we kind of skim over this part when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. It is clear the astronomical, spiritual difference between the two. I'm one thing and you're something else completely. Understand not just the difference, but the, the, the roles in life that that difference requires. He also points out what the source is. Uh, in this passage, he points out what we must do. And he points out what we are capable of, or maybe not capable of, depending on your, your perspective. We're going to look generally at those four points. Uh, they will be obvious as we move through it. But the way we're going to do this sermon and all the sermons, best I can tell, may not work perfectly every time, 
Uh, but this morning sermon, I, I don't, the way I preach is I don't force points on a passage. What I mean is if, if the passage has one or two points and that's all the verse has, well, that's what I'm going to preach is one or two points. I don't, you know, it's not three points no matter what the verse is. It doesn't work that way. What I am attempting to do, though, and it worked out pretty well this morning, is I'm going to have really five points. And those five points are the five weeks of the Experiencing God study. And, and I will have those headings, and you'll see that in just a second when we go to the, the next slide. But we begin with the, verse, the first part of the verse. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The first unit, uh, the first study unit of experiencing God this week on, on this unit, or the first, what do they call it? Session. The first session of this first unit was Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Well, we see that when, it, when Jesus says to us, I am the vine, you are the branches. He, he doesn't leave room for any other possibility. Remember, one of the points was the absolute necessary difference between us and him. The vine and the branches have completely different responsibilities, completely different roles, and one can exist without the other, but the other can exist without the one. And he makes this clear that he is the way. He's telling us, Jesus is, that he is our connection. He is our connection to the source. He is our connection to God. If we want to know what God is doing, if we want to experience God, we can only do that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to hammer that home a little bit more toward the end. But what we know then, and of what should be self-evidently true, if you know A uh, and B, uh, I mean A and not A can't be equal. So A is Jesus is the connection. A is Jesus is the way. So if Jesus is, that means you are not. You are not the way. Your way is not the way. Your ability is not uh, is immaterial. It does not matter about your way. You are not the one that can get you to, the God, to God. You, you can't be good enough. You cannot uh, uh, steal your will enough in order to experience God, in order to follow God without Jesus. Jesus is the way. You don't know God without Jesus. We, you will, and I've said this numerous times, uh, if you talk about God in mixed company, most people won't be offended because they all have some sort of God in their lives and they recognize it. And it might even look like, sound like, be similar to the God of the Bible. But when you inject Jesus into that, you have just injected an exclusivity that will uh, be repulsive to most people in that conversation. Because then we are saying, yes, you have an idea of God, you want a relationship with God, you want God in your life, but you can never have God in your life until you have Jesus in your life. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father, God, except by him. So you really don't have an option. 
So we see when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, we are clear on his role, we are clear on our role, and as it pertains to experiencing God, as it pertains to what I should do as an individual and what we should do as a church, we're told, and it's obvious, we know we are in God's will because of our constant connection to and through Jesus. How do we know what God's will is? How do we experience God? Jesus. How do I know what God wants me to do? Jesus. How do I know God loves me? Jesus. How do I know God will save me? Jesus. How do I know anything about God? Jesus. Now, you're gonna, somebody's going to tell me, well, we have the Bible. You're right, we do. We have God's Word. And who does the Bible say the Word was? Jesus. The answer is all, it's the Sunday school answer. The answer is always Jesus. How do we know God? Jesus. How, what is our way? Jesus is the only way. And we know God because of our connection with Jesus. We also learned this week that Jesus is our model. That was the second week. Well, sticking with this passage, this first part of the verse, I am the vine, you are the branches, we are told to do what Jesus did. How do we know what Jesus did? How do we know what Jesus does? Well, we read his word and we, we see what he does. We see what he did. We have explanation. But now we spend time with Jesus. We remain connected to Jesus. We abide in him like the last song the choir and Donald sang. Good job, y'all. Again, thank you for that. We, we, we abide in him and we know what God wants us to do. Jesus made that clear when he was on earth. We do what he did. Jesus told us that he saw what God was doing, and he joined him. We have that, if you go back, John chapter 5, verses 17, 19, and through 20. Jesus says of himself, Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. Truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So, Jesus, what am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to do what you're told to. You're supposed to do what God tells you to do. How am I supposed to know what God tells me to do? Stay with me. What you see me doing what you know and understand because of your relationship with me, you know then to do. Abide in me, and I will show you what the Father is doing. We don't do a lot of apprenticeships anymore. That's, that's not something you hear about too much. Now, I think if you're, if you're being an electrician and a plumber, they, they still have them, but they call it something else, right? Any electricians, plumbers in here? I know you, but you're a journeyman. Is that? Aren't there levels of apprentice? Right, apprentice. But but that that you still do that, right? What does an apprentice do? Learns by some doing, but a lot of watching. What are you doing? What are you doing there? Okay. Now let me try it. No, you'll kill yourself. I'm going to do this. I'll let you do it next time. 
you watch 20 times than you do it the 21st, or, or something like that. But, but what, even if, even if you give them a little more freedom, okay, all right, you, I'll let you plug this wire, but not all the rest of them. You know, I don't want you blowing the place up. Even if you let them do it, what does that apprentice have to do? He has to spend time with the master. If it's a master electrician or a master plumber or a master woodworker, whatever it is, you have to spend time with that person. If Jesus is our way and Jesus is our model, then what must we do? We must abide. We must stay with him. We tend not to want to do that. We tend to want to spend a little time with him, get our Jesus fix, you know, get our energy bar, our Jesus energy bar, our spiritual energy bar, crunch down on some Jesus, and then after 30 minutes to an hour of spending time, I got it for the rest of the week. And that is not what the Bible says do, because the passage goes on. The one who remains in me and I in him remains in me. The, the next heading, the third uh, session in, in this week was learning to be a servant of God. Abiding here means an intense, personal, lifelong period of on-the-job training. Now, I'm not going to call anybody out, but um, if I remember correctly, we have someone in here who is 96 years old. I'm not going to point him out. He knows who I'm talking about. If he wants to stand up and dance and show us that 96 is just a number, he can. But 96 years old. Folks, that's a long time to live. And that's also a long time to walk with the Lord. But I guarantee you, if you asked this person, have you gotten God figured out yet? Have you figured out exactly what you're supposed to do? Is, is Jesus just perfectly clear now to you and that you've got no questions? He would very likely tell you, mm, not yet. I, I, I could ask some people who've, who've walked with Jesus, maybe you're in your 80s. You got him figured out yet? In your 70s, you've been a Christian since you were 9, 10 years old. 60 years you've been a Christian. You got God figured out yet? You got Jesus figured out yet? No, we don't. It is a lifelong apprenticeship. We never become master Christians. We never become master servants of God. I read uh, Experiencing God. I go through, as I said last week, this is my fourth time to go through it. I learn something every time. And I read it and I think Henry Blackaby has got to be almost perfect. I mean, really to have written this stuff... And I, and I guarantee you, and I haven't watched the sessions, or at least not recently, it's, it's been a long time, so I don't know what he's going to say, I, I don't remember, but I guarantee you he would never get up there and say he's got it figured out. He would never stand before you and say, boy, yeah, I'm, I, every time I'm just right there with God's will. Every time I always know it, I never have to question, it just comes out of me like, no. Because we never get it figured out. We are never master servants. We are always apprentices. Our relationship with Jesus, our abiding with Jesus is lifelong. And something else the branch doesn't do, and it pointed out in our study this week, is that the branch doesn't disconnect from the vine to go and make fruit. 
That's the other thing we want to do. That's more about, I, I want to I connect to the vine a little bit, maybe, maybe once a weekend, maybe twice a weekend. Maybe I go to Bible study and church. Maybe, maybe I come on Wednesday night to hear Bible study too, or, or maybe I do all three, Sunday morning sermon and Bible study at night, it's on Sunday night and Bible study on Wednesday night. I'm doing all three of those things. But still, we want those things to be our connection, and then we spend the rest of the week, the branch, going off and leaving the vine, and that's not how it works. That's never how fruit's made. It's not going to produce anything. As a matter of fact, it's going to die. We must remain in connection with Jesus. It is, it is lifelong, but it is also constant. We never disconnect, not and expect to be able to do anything that God has called us to, anything that has eternal value. Our obedience is always in connection to and conjunction with God and His activity. If we are going to be obedient to God, then it must be as a result of our connection to God. We, we know what he wants to do because we're watching Jesus, we're connecting with Jesus, we're abiding with Jesus. Therefore, we always know what he wants. And then we respond to that and work with him. We can't connect to Jesus and, and abide with him and know God wants A. That is great, God. And we disconnect and we go over here and do B and C and think we're pleasing God. It doesn't work that way. We are only obedient when we are uh, working from a connection with God, but also in conjunction to what He is already doing. This, that particular part of experiencing God has always been mind-blowing to me. I grew up like many of you did. God, what's your will for my life? What do you want me to do? To, to think of it in terms of not what he wants me to do personally, an individual will, but to think of it in terms of what he is doing now, come and join me in my work, it, 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 just, it destroys all of my preconceived notions. You know, every teenager asks, God, who do you want me to marry? Who, who is, who's the person you have for me? If we look at that question in light of not who is the perfect person according to your will for me, but who are you working in that you want me to join, that changes the whole purpose of marriage, which Ephesians 5 and 6 does anyway. If it's a, a reflection of the relationship between us and Jesus, or reflect, I mean, uh, between Jesus and God, marriage is, then, then it totally changes the way we come across and, and the way we find our spouse. We don't look for the person God has for me. We look for the person that God is working in and we join them because it, your role as husband or wife is to grow that person spiritually, not satisfy you emotionally or sexually. Get too many amens on that one, but y'all go back and read. Y'all read Ephesians five and six. Tell me if I'm wrong. That's another sermon. I want to preach on, mess, on on marriage this morning. But we find what God is doing, and we join Him there. And when we do, we see the next part of the verse. He produces fruit. We come to the next two units, uh, the next two sessions, fourth and fifth session of our experiencing God study this week. God works through his servants. Ezekiel chapter 15 
verses 1 through 8, tell us exactly what the wood of the vine is good for if it's not producing fruit. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, how does the wood of the vine, that branch among the trees of the forest, compare to any other wood? Can wood be taken from it to make something useful? Or can anyone make a peg from it to hang things on? In fact, it is put into the fire as fuel. The fire devours both ends, and the middle is charred. Can it be useful for anything? Even when it's whole, it could not be made into a useful object. How much less can it ever be made into anything useful when the fire has devoured it and it is charred? The branch of the vine is pointless if it's not producing fruit. If we're not doing the job of the branch, which is to produce fruit, we see throughout this passage it's broken off, it's thrown away, it's burned, it's useless. That's because it has no purpose other than producing fruit. Now, some people are thinking, oh, you can take it down, you can weave a nice basket from it. Don't argue with Scripture. Scripture says it's useless. So while it might be nice and decorative, it won't hold water. Uh, it won't carry too many things. It won't do uh, great things for you. It is useless if it's not producing fruit. The purpose of the branch of the vine is to produce fruit. Our job, our only job as branches, connected permanently, continually, and for our entire lives, connected to the branch, is to be obedient. How do I know, Michael? How do I know what's what I'm supposed to do? How do I know uh, when God's speaking to me? Well, because we're connected to Jesus, we'll know. The people in the Old Testament knew. Now, people in the New Testament knew. And you're going to tell me, well, in the Old Testament, God spoke out loud. You're, you're right, he did. Uh, that made it a lot easier. And, and I wish he still did it. And look at how many people still weren't obedient, even when he spoke out loud. So, apparently, uh, God speaking out loud isn't the key to uh, obedience or success. In the New Testament, we don't have the out loud speaking. We have the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus that he sent to indwell in us. But what we do see in the New Testament is that when God spoke, they knew it was God. Why? Because of their connection. Because they were abiding in Jesus. Because we can go back to uh, uh, Psalms and Proverbs, we go back to, to and know that if, if uh, we are faithful, if we are intent on who God is, if we are intent on that connection, he'll, he'll give us the desires of his heart. If we will connect to him, if we will spend time in with him, our desires will be his desires. That, that we will be able to do those things, we will know when God speaks, because we'll know his voice. We've spent time with him. I'm sure this analogy's been used before. Crowded mall, crowded stadium. You're lost. You're calling out, trying to find your parents. They can't hear you. Your, your, your voice is small. But you hear mama or daddy call you, Hey! You know that voice. They call your name, you know it. In the midst of the cacophony of all these hundreds, maybe thousands of voices, you can pick your parents' voice out because you know it. 
nature does it too. It's incredible if you've watched the, the, emperor, the emperor penguins in, in, in the Antarctic and, and uh, Morgan Freeman, tell me about the penguins. You, 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 when you hear all that's going on, the, the, the mama goes out to eat. And she ain't just going to Texas Roadhouse. She's gone for months. And you've got thousands of these penguins. And they, all the women come back. And all the men are watching the babies. And they walk around going, ah, ah, ah. And that's how they find each other. I don't get it. They do. Because they know the voice of the one they're connected to. Y'all, we know the voice of God when we have remained connected to Jesus. When God spoke, they knew it. We can too. They also knew what God was saying. They didn't question, now what am I supposed to do, Lord? Now what did you mean by that? Now they did in the Old Testament. Remember, Gideon. God said, do it. Gideon said, fleece. God said, all right, there, it's wet like you asked for. Mm, Too easy. Keep it dry this time. Okay, it's dry. Do what I told you. He heard his voice, and he didn't want to do what God said. We know what God is saying when we have attached to Jesus and we remain in him. And then, when they knew what God was saying, they knew what they were to do in response. Because of their connection to Jesus, because of the time they spent with the Lord, because they knew his voice and they heard what he said, there was no question about what their responsibility was. They remained in him, and they produced fruit. Now, what is fruit? Rudolf Bultmann, quite liberal German scholar in the early 20th century, he wasn't all wrong, he was just wrong about a lot of things, said fruit is every demonstration of vitality of faith to which, according to 9 through 17, that's the chapter 15, 9 through 17, to which... Reciprocal love above all belongs. And he's right. Fruit is when you demonstrate your faith. That's fruit. But, but there's clearly something more. And another uh, theologian added to what he said and said, to which also effective mission in bringing to Christ men and women in repentance and faith belongs. So, yes, surely vitality of faith, demonstration of vitality of faith is the fruit. But it is not a vital faith, the next theologian says, and and I agree with him, until effective mission in bringing the lost to Jesus is added to that. I could say my faith is vital because I'm faithful to come to church, but if I'm not telling people about Jesus, my faith isn't vital. I'm uh, obedient to uh, maybe some... Uh, uh, standards and to some traditions and, and maybe even to uh, some, uh, I lost the word, I'm, I'm able to, to check up a list off, but I'm not being obedient as I have been told to when it comes to telling people about Jesus. A third theologian went on and, 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 and kind of wrapped it up and he said, those who have believed in Jesus through the apostolic preaching are the fruit of the vine and its branches. So fruit ultimately is, are we producing more Christians? That is fruit. Bultmann got us started, and then this last theologian cleared it up for us. So if you want to produce fruit, if you're questioning, am I producing fruit, how many people have come to Jesus because of your witness and testimony? That is the ultimate standard for what fruit is. So I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, 
the same bears much fruit. He, uh, the one who remains in me and I in him, produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. The last part of the verse. See, we're continuing that theme of God working through his servants, the last unit that you might have studied this week. Folks, God's servants aren't superhuman. I know most of y'all think, because I'm a preacher, I'm a superhero. I know. I know y'all. It's not true at all. Some of you think, now I've heard people say this, I could never get up and stand in front of people and talk like that. Yeah, you could. Because I'm telling you, I couldn't. I I think I've told y'all this before. My initial calling, what I believed was my calling to ministry, when I felt the call to ministry at the age of 15, my response to God was, I don't want to be a preacher, and I can sing, so you must want me to be a minister of music. That was it. That was the extent of my examining my call. And I went that way for five years, all the way into LSU School of Music, and I hated it it wasn't my calling and the first time I got to preach I didn't like to stand up and talk in front of people I took speech communication as a major at LSU because I did not like to speak in front of people I had to force myself to do it and I wanted to try to get as good at it as I could at least in that level of my education I didn't want to speak in front of people all it is is a spiritual gift that I am called to be a preacher God empowered me to do something that I was not able to do without him. And and more than a preacher, God has called me to be a prophet. And, and, you know, nobody likes a prophet, and I know that, and that's okay. But that is my manner of preaching. That that is what he has called me to do. What's funny is I am a non-confrontational person. And y'all are all going, I am. But when God gives me a word from his word, and tells me, say this, I have no choice. And by his spiritual empowerment to make me something I am not, I'm able to get up and say what I consider even hard things and don't like to hear. God's servants aren't superhuman. People used by God are simply ordinary. James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, tell us, about Elijah if anybody was superhuman it was Elijah I mean the dude had it going on prophetically uh, called down fire and stuff I haven't even tried that I'm not going to I'm going to assume I cannot Elijah just like yep do it we go hey this is how we're going to do go back and read in 2nd Kings about him at Mount Carmel and what he did with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. But James says of him in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 5, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruits. We are not special. You are not special. I'm just going to say it. But you don't have to be. You're God is special. And if God gives you the command, 
If through your relationship with Jesus, your connection, your abiding in him, you know what God is saying, you know then what you are supposed to do in response to what God is saying, then you are automatically equipped to do what God is saying. Moses stuttered. There's no way I can do this, God. I have always been a man who could not speak. Go and write letters? Nope. Go and build things? Nope. Go and speak for me. And God empowered him to do something he could not do. Apart from me, because you can do nothing without me. You know how I know we're not superhumans? Because without God, we can't do anything. Without a relationship with Jesus, we as Christians can do nothing. Nothing is nothing. In case you're curious, now what did Jesus mean by nothing? He meant nothing. Now, we can take that to the grand uh, uh, existential, supernatural, cosmic realm and say certainly nothing occurs without the permission of Jesus. That is absolutely true. I mean, nothing occurs. I, I just waved my hands. That didn't happen. It wouldn't have happened unless Jesus had allowed it to happen because it says, in him we live and move and exist, Acts 17, 28. Talking about God, but we know Jesus is God. We know that creation happened when Jesus was there. We know that God, uh, or, or Jesus was there when creation happened. We know that God spoke the word, and Jesus is actually the word, so it was actually Jesus that was involved in creation, not just God. We can read that in Colossians. It makes it clear that Jesus was there when everything was created. So let's get off, though, well, he's talking about God, not Jesus. He's talking about both of them, and everything we do is a result of Jesus allowing it. So, certainly, Michael, nothing, uh, yeah, I know what you mean, uh, everything happens because of Jesus. No, don't flop your hands like that, because we actually mean even more. Nothing, you can do nothing without me, means we produce nothing of value outside of Jesus. Nothing eternal happens outside of Jesus. So if you're wondering why your spiritual life has not produced anything of value that you can see, well, one, I would say maybe you're too hard on yourself, but maybe you're not. So if you're not being too hard on yourself, are you trying to do it on your own strength? Are you trying to connect to Jesus as a branch, connect to the vine occasionally, even weekly, regularly, but not remaining in him, not abiding in him, so you have no idea what it is that you have no idea when God speaks. You don't know what he's saying, and you certainly don't know what you're supposed to do in response to what he's saying because you're not spending time in Jesus. That could be the problem. Now, if we take that as individuals and we extrapolate that out to a church and we question why a church isn't reaching its community like it should, why we're not seeing salvations like we should, maybe it's because that church is not abiding in Jesus as we should and so that when God speaks, we don't know it's God. And we don't know what's God, what God is saying. And we as a church, I'm sorry, they as a church, have no idea what they are supposed to do in response to God speaking. That's, that's the, the tragedy of a community made up of individuals. We are equal to the sum of our parts. 
And if we as individuals are not abiding in Jesus, we as a church will not abide in Jesus. And so we are doing experiencing God as a church. As much as we can make you do it, we are. You're not coming to a small group? Fine, I'm going to preach it anyway. You're going to hear it somehow that we as a church, we as individuals must experience God. Not for 13 weeks, but for the rest of our lives. And so that's our calling, and that's my encouragement. So, Jesus ends, you can do nothing without me. Well, one of the nothings that you can do, or one of the things you can't do, is probably a better way of saying, the, the nothing you can do without Jesus includes experiencing forgiveness of sins and salvation. Right? Right back to the first of the message. Right back to that first unit. Jesus is the way. You can't be saved without Jesus. Let's take that out a little bit more, expand on that, and you cannot abide in him until you've experienced salvation through him, not trough him. That should be through him. Y'all never noticed, probably, if I hadn't said something, but I see them every time, every time I do a typo. You cannot abide in Jesus until you experience salvation through him. So if you're wondering, I don't have that, why don't I have that? Let's go back to the salvation. Have you experienced salvation in him before you can ever abide in him? And then to take it back all the way to beginning, just as obedience to God only by remaining in Jesus is an irreducible complexity, salvation through Jesus is an irreducible complexity. You will never experience salvation without Jesus. You will never know forgiveness of your sins without Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. And you can't get to the Father without being perfect. And you can't be perfect, but Jesus was perfect for you. And you can vicariously experience perfection through Jesus. What do you need to understand about salvation this morning? First, you need to understand, you need to question, do I abide in Jesus? And if your answer is no for any of the two reasons, I'm not abiding like I should or I'm not saved like I know I need to be, understand this. God is holy and just and he will judge sin. And that, that means you. Uh, that, that means your sinfulness. Because you are a sinner. You are willfully sinful. You are fallen. You are destined for everlasting torment and judgment because of your sinfulness. And, and because of your sinfulness, you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And that, that's, your, that's your destiny. That's, that is the way you will end up apart from Jesus. But... Jesus, the perfect Son of God, sinless, who lived the life you could not live, took your place on this cross. That was your cross to, to, to be crucified on. But while there, he not only took your punishment, he took your sin as well. Died for all of you, everybody in here, everybody listening, Facebook Live or 
uh, on, online later on, every one of you Jesus died for, and three days later he rose from that grave to prove he had the power not only over death, but also over sin, just like he said. So you then have to respond. You have to repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, then live for him. Abide in him. We can go to that next slide, please, ma'am. Abide in him. Salvation is only found in Jesus. And you don't find, find salvation by buddying up to him. Hey, Jesus, like you a lot. Appreciate it. Get that salvation thing going. All right, see you when I die and move on. See, that's not abiding. That's another parable. Read Matthew 13 about the seeds that are scattered, but some of them don't make it. Will you this morning choose to abide in Jesus? Abiding is giving your life. Abiding is saying, now I am connected permanently to the one source and I will never pull away. Will you do that this morning? Will you trust Jesus as your Savior? Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have provided an opportunity to abide. You have given us the the ability, the, 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 the choice to follow you. You have told us of your son. You have made clear your requirements that we only can experience salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that for those within the sound of my voice right now, the gospel is clear. The message is presented. The choice is before them, and now they must choose. Lord, I pray that the choice this morning is for you, is for salvation. God, move in hearts today for the lost to come to know you. Lord, for the believers here this morning who are not abiding as they should, they feel that they can connect occasionally and pull away and go and do either their own thing or, or even think they're doing things for you but are not based on your call and on obedience to you, Lord. I pray for renewal this morning that they would truly experience you. Not just today or tomorrow or as we do a study, but God, that this will be a life change for all of us to abide in you, connect, uh, abide in Jesus, connect to you, and then respond as you lead, as we see you working. God, make those two things this morning come true in the hearts of every person here. Salvation and recommitment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, apart from Jesus, you can't be saved. You, you can't do anything, and part of what you can't do is save yourself. So this morning, what's your decision? How are you going to respond? Are you going to sit there and say, I got next week? Or are you going to say, no, today I'm going to respond in obedience. I want to be saved. Maybe you don't understand it. You want me to explain a little bit more. Maybe you just want me to pray with you. Maybe you said, yeah, I've done this, but now I need to tell people that I've done it. Whatever your decision is this morning, maybe you need to join our church or recommit. Be a part of what God's doing. Experience Him with community. Whatever it is, let's stand, let's sing, and as we sing, you do business with God this morning. I'll be over here on the left. Jordan will be over there on the right if you'd like us to pray. <laughs>